Welcome to Language Chats. This is a podcast for language lovers in Australia and beyond, where we share our experiences, as well as stories from other Australians, of learning, working with, and using other languages. I'm Beck. Hi, I'm Penny, and this today's episode, we are joined by a language lover, a U member, longtime member, Candace Powell. Lovely to have you with us, Candace. Thank you very much, both Beck and Penny. I am um, quite nervous, but really excited to be chatting. Um, Do you want to tell us? Yeah, tell us a little bit about yourself. <laughs> We'd love to know. No worries. Um, my name is Candice, 30 something uh, Sydney cider language lover from, I don't know, when time began. <laughs> um, and I've been studying Farsi now for three years. Oh, that's awesome. So, Farsi, I mean, I don't know where to start with this, but how did you how did you fall into Farsi, or did Farsi find you, or or what what's, what's the story? What's the the background about Farsi? I don't have a real answer to be honest. Um, for me, I try to to me the best I guess way to explain it is a bit of a breadcrumb trail um, over about a six month period where towards the end of 2017, I wanted to go on holiday. I wanted to go somewhere that was so very, very different from Australia, somewhere that I could get lost, essentially. Uh, when I was looking around on travel blogs and stuff, all I found, or my, I was originally, or my compass was going towards Israel or Jordan, um, far, far away, something that's totally different. And when I was looking at a lot of the travel blogs that were around, everywhere kind of kept saying, well, if you like this, maybe you should try Iran. Maybe you should try Iran. It kept popping up over and over again and a few other things along the way. So I'm a bit of a foodie as well, love to cook, um, had eaten Persian food, loved Persian food before. And I also had um, a musician that I love. They had posted all their travel stories from their trip to Iran maybe a year or so before that. And it just felt like it kept coming up over and over. And I said, okay, sure, why not? Um, let's try Iran. Started digging a bit, found a, uh, a boutique, really small uh, travel company that, funnily enough, the two um, founders are one's a New Zealander and one's an Australian from Perth. So um, jumped on their bandwagon and, yeah, headed over for my first time in May 2018 for a trip. So from there, I you know, learn the travel etiquette, you know, the bare minimum before you fall, you know, before you head over there, your numbers and your highs and your thank yous and all that kind of jazz. And when I was there and just being surrounded by another language um, again, I was like, okay, wow, all right. And as soon as I came back, I just, I don't think I've not used it a day since. So, Yeah. That's amazing, Candice. And I feel like what an inspirational trip that must have been for you, for you to have just like learnt the bare basics and then come back and for you to not be having a day since where you haven't used Farsi. I, to be honest, like I had no intention whatsoever of um, even picking up a language again. Um, didn't, hadn't even crossed my mind. I was like, I, I just want to be courteous and polite when I'm over there. And how little did I know? Like I was, I was quite wrong um, about the kind of turn I would take. Um, yeah. What's it been like for you? Because Farsi is 
um, well, I guess also also known as Persian. Yes. Um, yeah. Yes. Is I suppose for for probably many people, perhaps not a language they know very much about, mm-hmm. um, and I guess we would probably also say that it's maybe a a, a less commonly learnt language for for many people um in so far as like you know there there are some very popular languages for many people to learn but Farsi is not always one that comes up on that list um, unless you maybe have a very specific reason to learn it how has it been for you as a as a learner um you know for example finding resources finding teachers having other sort of support um to help you along the way yeah, it's um, starting out was tough, uh, really, really tough. Um, I think you guys might resonate a little bit with textbooks in how expensive they can be here in Australia um, and in some of the lesser common languages, I guess exceptionally so. Um, finding good resources, I found that oh, it would prov- probably would have been 12 months into my study where I was like, okay, this is solid enough. Um that being said, you know, the longer you spend on the internet, the more you find things. So <clears throat> so there's stuff out there. Um, lesser common language. Yeah, I think I've I've not actually ever met a other Farsi learner in real life. Um, all the other connections that I've made are online through social media. Um, and that is maybe, I guess, four or five and that's people who have studied there are a lot of doublers and stuff like that or people who have done it professionally but as a someone similar to myself there's maybe four or five in about three years and I'm not saying that they don't exist and they're not out there um but we're very few and far between um and I think when you when you think about Farsi being you know it's in one of the top 25 most spoken languages in the world so it's it's not rare it's not an endangered language it's not um, small by any means and it's got um, you know your native and your L2 language learners there's like nearly 18 million of them so there's a lot of speakers <laughs> um, but it, I understand that it's not um, a choice a lot of people gravitate towards or probably even think to in the first place um, and I think for me the main reason around that is political um or what political narratives um can do to shape your perspective on certain places of the world um yes i think to learn Farsi, it might take a bit of a unique approach or sense of curiosity or empathy towards people to dig that little bit deeper um but it doesn't make me love it any less (laughs) you know like i think it's just more for me (laughs) When you were planning that that first trip back to Iran when you, you know, you you did your your basic kind of language and you you kind of knew that you really wanted to go there, in in your preparation before the trip, how were you thinking that you might travel differently going to Iran? Were there things that people told you to modify in the way that you behaved or dressed or spoke or anything like that or did you... Was there kind of nothing kind of that was pointed out to you as things that you might have to do differently? Uh, Absolutely everything was going to be done differently. Um, And I was met with a lot of um, uh, apprehension, I think is probably the better word, or concerns for my safety. Um, 
and these are from loved ones, um, from colleagues, from friends um, that maybe don't have that curiosity or hadn't done the um, reading that I had. Um, so it's really hard to contextualise your want and your knowledge um, coming from your perspective to someone else who has never even thought about it. Um, so I think there was a bit of education in it, but, you know, I was still going relatively blind. <laughs> um, and, yeah, so in the lead-up um, I was met with a lot of, yeah, no's and apprehensions, um, just making sure I had my T's crossed and I's dotted and um, I had such a wonderful time that I decided to go back in 2019. So <laughs> so um, despite all the, I guess, you know, deterrence or um, warnings, it, there were a lot of it was unfounded or all of it was unfounded. Mm. From a... Um kind of a, a, I guess, a purely language perspective too um, because as I understand, like Farsi is written in um, a different script. Yes. And it's written in, is Arabic it the, it, it's written in the Arabic script, but it isn't the same as like the way that it is written is a little bit different still to kind of modern standard Arabic too, isn't it? I believe so. And I think um, I may be wrong, but just visually to my eye between the two Arabic still shows a lot of their diacritics on their lettering Persian does not have that not in at least everyday text um, advertising or things like that unless it the reader specifically needs to see that particular diacritic for the context of a, of a word or a phrase um, so yes it is written in Arabic. Diacritics I don't see very often. It is in um, older literature. And there are four distinct different letters within the Ara- uh, sorry, within the Persian script than there are in the Arabic. Um, so very similar, very different. Um, has a lot of, sorry, Persian has a lot of loan words as well. Uh, in saying that, though, they have a lot of loan words from French, surprisingly enough, and also uh, English. So. What was it like for you coming into that new script for the first time as well? Because it being just so, so different to um, what we are used to as English speakers. Um, mm-hmm. You know, how, do you, how did you get started with that? My first thoughts weren't, difficult's not the word I would use. The first, the word that I would tell myself was this script was impenetrable. Like I just couldn't, <laughs> just... I remember telling myself um, when I was over there, it's like, I'm, I would never get this. Like, it just seems utterly impenetrable to me. Um, and, you know, I've said it kind of before and having learned another language, so Japanese earlier, that has a different script. It, when you do learn a different script, you have to have this level of acceptance on what you're learning. Um, that language has been written that way for far before you were born um, and serves its purpose. So um, for it to change or to become easier just for me is a bit of a fallacy. So, um, yeah, I think there's a level of acceptance and it's really important, or I feel it was really important to get that foundational work in first, um, to wrap my head around something 
um, such as a script first. Um, two reasons. Uh, one is I hate doing things twice, so I don't want to learn, you know, Finglish, which we call it, um, and then go ahead and relearn something. And the other one was um, in Persian, they don't write, or the script doesn't write short vowels. So if you have like an F-A-A, it only shows you the F. So this is where diacritics come into play and they demonstrate what that short vowel is. Um, only when there is a long vowel will they write the long vowel. So if you were to see everyday Persian text in Roman letters, you would see predominantly the consonants. With there being six vowels and then I think, yeah, so Persian has six vowels and then they have four diphthongs. There's a lot of guesswork at play um, if you're trying to guess what vowel is sitting between those consonants. And I still, I still have that struggle today. Um, you do, but you do become familiar with the quote-unquote spelling of a particular word, so you just know to guess a particular way of saying it more frequently than the other um, until you actually learn that word. And then there are some patterns, um, some particular patterns that you pick up along the way as well. Um, yeah, so challenging um, but not impenetrable. Um, and I'm very thankful that I did the hard work first. Yeah, with the uh, without the diacritics, and if you do read a lot of English, you are prone to reading incorrect pronunciation. So you kind of the risk is too. For me, the risk was too high to learn bad habits and sound off or not speak correctly. Um, so yeah, just double down on doing the script first. Is all is all I can say. Have you taken formal classes, Candice, or have you been learning independently? Or what's been your kind of route to mastering the script and pronunciation? Uh, so I started uh, solo by myself um, on YouTube um, and any basic resources or PDFs and stuff that I could find. So a lot of it was independently. I wouldn't say ever formally. Um, I have had two tutors, or I'm on my second tutor now. My first I paired up with on italki. I was nervous as all hell. I had never used it before in my life. I scrolled through, I would say, the hundreds of Iranian uh, tutors on there and tried to pair up with someone who I thought would really provide me a sense of comfort and a, and a safe learning environment to be nervous or make mistakes, right? And I ended up finding a young woman similar age to me and she had also just started on the app no um, prior classes no writings no nothing and I said you know what if I'm starting this she's going to start on the bottom with me <laughs> and we're going to make this work and it was wonderful I we um, spent probably a year um, through weekly or twice weekly classes um, since become friends and then I thought well I need to kind of level up or get a bit more focused because being an independent studier if you don't really think about yourself and really think about your goals you don't really have any boundaries or you don't really have any structure to your learning and I think coming from you know a previous school environment with languages 
you do certain exercises and you're working towards something. Whereas I think independently starting out again, I, I wasn't working towards anything. I was just learning absolutely anything that I could. And I found that I was frustrated with myself um, because there were holes in my, in my um, yeah, just holes in my study or holes in my skills. So I was paired up uh, nearly a year ago, actually, with a, um, a lady on Natakalam. And they paired us very, very well together. They get your goals, they get your skill, they get your um, interests as well, and they pair you more um, in, in a more nuanced way. So you have some kind of engagement or relationship, I think, or like a deeper understanding on a few things. Um, and that, so I still have weekly classes with her um, and I can't think higher of her <laughs> so whilst I've had classes and done things informally I have haven't done anything formally because here in Australia to study Farsi is ludicrously expensive and I will not pay to um I will not pay thousands of dollars um to learn something that I'm being satisfied with elsewhere <laughs> you mentioned earlier on that since um returning from Iran and since starting your Persian, your Farsi studies, that you pretty much have like a daily interaction or a daily use of mm-hmm. the language. Well, how does that look for you? Like what do you get to use it for and, and how do you kind of incorporate different types of practice into your day? I Yeah, I, I love this question because I don't want it to sound like I am at my desk 24-7 um, and drilling sentences or anything like that. I couldn't think of anything worse, to be honest with you. Um, but I do have a touch point with the language at least some point uh, through the day. So whether that is I read for a little bit, watch a shit ton of YouTube, <laughs> um, I have friends that I text and um, watch TV shows and stuff. So honestly, I think a bulk of my learning especially in the intermediate stage has been passive um that's due to varying priorities in life at the the time and other interests that I have um but yeah on a day-to-day basis I try to touch on at least one or two of the skills, so listening, reading, speaking, writing. Um, I've always tried to keep them as well-rounded as I could and I think getting probably to the B1 stage now, it's not really sustainable um, to level up so significantly um, in each of those skills. So it changes from time to time and while I still have the same goals, um, I think I try to attack it from different from different ways sometimes just to keep things um, interesting and um, you may need to keep things interesting. Um, I can't sit through Mm. a textbook for three months. I've got to kind of keep it a bit rounded. How do you, um, because it sounds like you have lots going on here and it sounds to me like you're a very organised person, Candice. Could you tell us a little bit about how you, like do you track your activities to make sure mm. that you um, know that you're keeping things well-rounded? Because I know that that's something that like certainly myself as a learner too, I 
I often have a really good idea in my mind of what I want to be able to do. And of course, Mm -hmm. life often gets entirely in the way um, Mm -hmm. and things go a bit haywire. But I know that in the past, although I don't do this all the time, tracking really helps me kind of actually see what I'm doing and then Mm. try to make a decision afterwards on like, oh, okay, I I did do some listening and some reading practice that day, better do some speaking Mm. later in the week. Um, And I'm curious to know how you also, how how you approach that. Yeah, very, very similarly, actually. So I have a bullet journal. Um, I've gone down the path of trying to be creative and it doesn't work for me. So it's just super basic. um, And I track my habits across the calendar month. And that is and I, I guess speaking of organised, I've just realised that I, the tasks that I track go on the spectrum from like reading through to speaking. Like I try to categorise them as well so I know which of my skills that I'm focusing on or um, unintentionally focusing on. <laughs> um, and the positive thing about this or the really really informative part of tracking habits in this way means that whilst I can see my consistency or inconsistency I can see my behaviors or the things that I gravitate to more than the others and also it really helps with I guess in my example is to be functional like conversationally functional functional um that means that I should be talking a lot more than I do. So when I look at my habit tracker and I've gone two weeks without having a conversation, that is time for me to course correct. So having visibility for your language, which is predominantly so intangible, um, has proven really, really helpful for me. Um, So yeah, habit tracking is probably the most predominant way I do it. I don't count... I don't count hours. I don't count how many shows that I um, have watched. I used to do that um, more from a comprehension standpoint. So I would, if I had a series, I would track the episodes that I watched and I'd write probably, you know, a percentage of what I understood. And then I'd go back three months later and rewatch an episode and kind of put another ballpark percentage of, okay, well, how much do I understand this time? And, and if comprehension or listening comprehension is a, um, you know, a key goal or a key driver for you. I think that is a great way to track your habits um, and keep focused and keep on task. Um, yeah, so it's not it's not really where I'm at at the moment, but yeah, I think I still live by my mojo. I'm a bit analog still. I think thirty <laughs> somethings kind of hang on to both the paper and the yeah. We love <laughs> I'm all paper and pen. All paper and pen. Yeah. <laughs> so you're talking about like review and tracking and and, you know monitoring your your output or and your input as well do you have Mm -hmm. some goals or a goal in mind that you're working towards either short term or long term Mm uh short term goals I'm not really known for um I think I'm usually in it for the long game um and for me it's still to be functional. I keep away from the other F word on purpose because you can't really measure it. Um, but it's for me, it's having a strong sense of comprehension and I'm really after a second nature responsiveness in conversations or um, when I'm watching something to really 
keep up with that conversation or keep up with the story. Um, that That's where I'm getting to and I understand that that is arbitrary and also has particular levels but just not feeling lost is pretty nice, you know, <laughs> you know. Um, yeah, so uh, functional is my goal at the moment. Um, I feel like at the stage that I'm at, the three-year mark, there's a lot more I could have done, but I'm a fair way ahead <laughs> than I think without having some kind of habit tracking or structure. Um than I would have been. Um, yeah, I think functional. I think that's the easiest way to easiest yeah. way to put it. Yeah, um, just want it to be a part of me. Yeah, yeah, I love that. Functional. Functional is such a nice guiding word. Um, like I feel like if you you know if you're overarching kind of feeling about where you want to go with your language mm-hmm. learning is about you know potentially being just functional um Mm. that it just feels like a much more practical way of looking at your Mm. like kind of development in the language rather Mm. than as as you so nicely phrased the other f word um, (laughs) which I think does it does scare so many people the whole concept of being fluent and fluency is this really Mm. um kind of mysterious um Mm idea for so many Mm -hmm. of us because although people I think at a really simplistic level always think I know what it means but realistically when you when you start learning another language and maybe when you are many years into learning another language you sort of wonder you you really do start to question what on earth that f word means um, and how it applies to you. I totally totally feel that and I think anyone who's in intermediate stage that's going to hit home too. Um, The biggest thing that I can liken it to is it's like a bit of an epiphany for me about six months ago it's like it feels like an ocean like if you are a level or starting out it's all fun you're splashing on the shoreline and it's all great you got a bit wet awesome intermediate you and if you start hitting you know b1 b2 start specializing or start um you know, building your little islands and the things that you're comfortable speaking about and, and moving past those islands. Soon that sand under your feet falls away and then you're like, oh, shit, this language is massive. Like there is a lot of ocean out there. And that's kind of the precipice that I'm on at the moment. It's like I know I'm conf- like I'm confident, I know enough, I can talk, but still at times riddled with self-doubt. And when I keep studying, it's like, oh, this is just... I'm never going to know enough. Probably the existential side of it, of like learning a language, right? It's like that you, that you will never, ever learn enough. Mm. But does thinking yeah. about things being functional actually help to ground you? Because then, you know, if, if it doesn't start to feel, it's like you don't need to worry about the whole ocean. Actually mm-hmm. just worry about the patch of sand that you're standing on. Right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Just, just need to be functional on this little island for the time yeah. being. <laughs> Pretty much. Pretty and then, much. like, who knows, next week when some, like, a sandbar appears yeah. uh, a few metres away, then I can jump to that sandbar and then maybe we can make that an island, right? Yeah. And that's 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 the fun of it, I think. That's that's the mm. fun of it. Um, but being, yeah, being functional. Um, so um, just knowing if you see a friend in the street that you don't have to go, oh, I need to get into Farsi mode now. Holy shit, I can't remember anything that I've – uh like you can't cram for conversations in the street I'm sorry like and that is super super stressful um I'd like to be able to 
go to the local Persian cafe and only speak Persian, um, which kindly enough the owners there know that I study and they playfully deny me speaking English when I'm there. <laughs> but um, uh, just knowing that that isn't, I don't, don't have to psych myself out for that stuff. That's, That's where I want to get. benefit about using this word functional as well because, you know, functionality can be different for every learner depending on what mm-hmm. is important to you and what you want to be functional mm-hmm. at. So, you know, functional in the playground totally. or functioning in the workplace or in the grocery store. Totally. Which is a really cool concept. And totally. I think it's, yeah, a really nice way to explain it and make everyone who's learning mm-hmm. a language out there feel like, you know, mm you can get to that stage because you just have to choose what your level of functioning is or where you want to function. <laughs> I, I agree. And I think it also ties quite neatly back to you yourself and your interests. Like if you can talk about those things, like people don't really go out of their way to do things that they don't enjoy. Right. And if you're able to incorporate your language into your life or talk about your interests in your foreign language you have I think a bit of a stronger sense of self or you can um, just operate in all the different spaces of your life without feeling that language is just something else like you it's used everywhere with you Um, and there's a a guy that I met online um, who, similar level to me, I find it very, very difficult to read his writing because his vocabulary is so very different. The way we construct sentences is very similar. Our level of grammar is very similar, but our vocabulary is distinctly different. And we just thrive off that when we talk to each other because we're learning the nuances of what's different between us more than um, just our level of language, if that makes sense. Like he loves um, travelling and sport. I love travelling but I do not participate in sport at all. So um, when he writes about things of that nature, I really, really struggle because it is not, I guess going back to the language we were using before, it's not one of my islands that... I know that there's someone out there that's similar level to me. And I think that's really, really fascinating. So he's functional within his sport. You know, he's functional in talking about the things that he enjoys with other people. Before we before we go, Candice, do you think you might be able to um, share with us a word or two in Farsi that Beck and I and all the other listeners might be able to learn? Or even just your favourite words in Farsi. I would love to hear what, what for you is a beautiful word in Farsi? Yeah, okay, there are many in that language. I think having such a poetic language, you can kind of pick and choose one off any page of any book and you're going to find something. But um, there are a few quirks of the language, I think, that we share in English as well. So one is um, reduplication, so the way we say chit-chat or easy-peasy or fancy-schmancy. They do that a lot as well. So um, ketab metab is like books and stuff. So usually it's done with um, the second word will start with an M or a P but sounds exactly the same as your first word. Um, so one word is nonsense, which is chertopert. 
so you've got your Peter second word as well. Um, that's one of my favourite. Interestingly, one of the most difficult sounds in the language is a voiced feeler fricative. So it's like that uh, like gulpy G sound in the back of your neck. And that is ridiculously difficult to... Um, a, become comfortable with and try and even get a ballpark of what it is and let alone put it in a word. Um, moving past that obstacle and really making it a focus and it meant that a lot of my favourite words actually use now. <laughs> so, um, is impossible. So I think that's probably i I'm just reflecting on the conversation that we've had. <laughs> I mean, it's actually funny that I chose that word. Um, but غير ممكن is impossible. Oh, and wow. I think the only is hard. Would you like to try? It's a beautiful word. Can you say can you say it one more time? We'll try and try and repeat after. We'll try. Like, after me. It's gonna be like an yeah. audio an audio course. غير ممكن. غير ممكن. Close. Three times fast. Three times fast. What a beautiful word. Yeah. It's gorgeous, it gorgeous great. sounds in it. Very soft. Very, very, very sort soft. of um soft in, in its in its rhythm. Some yeah, sometimes it feels that way. Um depending on how certain phrases that you're saying yes <laughs> um, but that's mm. only language as well um, I have I have one more question for you before before we do finish sure. up and it's just what you've made me think in, in you saying some of these words and hearing how, how how beautifully soft they sort of sound to me um, but in in learning a language like Farsi have you encountered at all so earlier when you mentioned the way people have sort of predisposed ideas about what they think about the region, political mm-hmm. ideas that have nothing to do with the language itself, mm-hmm. um, do people have an idea of also how that reflects on the language and it sort of mm-hmm. the language itself like, you know, I, I suppose I was surprised that it was soft. I shouldn't I shouldn't necessarily be surprised about that. But for me, I, I, don't, I don't know whether we have sort of sometimes a predisposed idea about when we think a language, what a language will sound like um, mm. based on external ideas that we have about that place. Like for, for as an example, um, I always find with German that people always say that they think it sounds angry, which is something that I really disagree with. <laughs> Mm. Um, but that is sometimes just a, an exposure thing. Like, you know, many people have only ever heard a little bit of German in like war movies. And mm. so the mm. way that they hear it is in this very, very aggressive sense. But actually the majority of the German that I have listened to and that I like to listen to is the complete opposite of that. It's not like that at all. Have you ever found anything like that with Persian? I have never thought about that before. Um, I want to say no, though. Um, and I, think, I feel like that's a good thing. <laughs> yeah, I feel like that's a good thing. Um, I'm just trying to check my own bias in that understanding a lot of the, I guess, the the root or tone of the language in regards to more of like the, the sweetness of it and the poetic nature of it. That's context that I have that maybe someone 
not learning the language or understanding the region would know. So for me, it makes sense that it sounds a little softer because I understand those inner workings. Whereas, I want to say no. <laughs> Lovely. Yeah. Good. Yeah. Good. I, I was curious, but I, I really like to hear that. And I think that now, look, if even everybody out there who's listening, like now I feel like I will remember from our conversation that Persian is a poetic and sweet and soft language. Mm-hmm. And I kind of, you know, I, I will probably take that away with me. So, so thank you for Yay. that. Yay. Oh, thank That's you, really Candice. Lovely. Thank you for coming to <laughs> chat with us on Language Chats. Mm. Um, before we let you go too, is there somewhere that people can find you online if they would like to connect or say hi? Sure. I welcome any questions, conversations, chats in Persian or otherwise um, on my Instagram over at the.far.cse. So a bit of a play on words there. Um, but thank you very, very much, ladies. That was really enjoyable. Aww. Oh, good. It was so good to have you with us. And thank you for taking out the time to, to speak with us too. We'll make sure that a link to Candice's Instagram account is in the show notes. Um, but do also remember that if you want to connect with all of us, um, then you can do that by joining our Facebook group, Language Lovers AU Community. Um, that's where you'll find us. Otherwise, you can also find us on the usual places on social media. We also have a page on Facebook, Language Lovers AU. And you can also find us on Instagram at languagelovers.au. Thank you again for joining us for another episode of Language Chats. And if you, as always, have enjoyed us, um, enjoyed us, enjoyed our chat, you please feel free to share with your friends or leave us a rating it helps other language lovers find us and we will see you in another fortnight thanks again thanks Candice yay thank you